Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and we have a great show lined up for you today. We have Steve Everly, who's the Managing Director of FTI Consultants. But first, if you guys remember, we were at Sarah Week, huge energy week, and we ran into Pete Zornio, the Chief Technology Officer for Emerson Automation Solutions, and I want to play a little bit of the soundbite from my discussion with him. First, just go ahead and uh, give me your name, uh, your full name, and then, of course, your title with Emerson. Hi, I'm Peter Zornio. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Emerson Automation Solutions. And how long have you been at Emerson for? You've been there quite some time. So have you always been in this role, or tell us a little bit about how you came to Emerson? Sure. I have been at Emerson for approximately 11 years now, but... uh, I've been an automation guy and an automation guy serving the oil and gas industry with other suppliers for, well, I guess 33 years now. So I've got a long history in doing automation and especially in the oil and gas industry. It sounds like it. Can I go into a little bit about Emerson? Because Emerson is a, is one of these companies that's really hard to, to understand because it's so large and there's so many different areas of Emerson. Can you break down Emerson uh, for us so we can kind of understand how global and how large this company really is? Sure. Emerson really has two primary business units. Uh, One kind of serves more the refrigeration, uh, we call commercial residential industry. That's not as tied to oil and gas. The oil and part that works more in oil and gas is the part I'm from, which is called automation solutions. So that's Sensors, control systems, software, services, all for automating big industrial processes like oil and gas, refining, petrochemical, also life sciences, other industries like that. And it's very global. Um, You know, probably about almost 60% of our business is actually outside of North America. So has Emerson grown uh, immensely since uh, we have now shale plays going on throughout the United States and North America? How much uh, is Emerson involved in uh, that area with oil and gas? I'm I'm assuming a lot, but to what level has Emerson jumped into that? Well, actually, we we kind of, like the whole industry, shrunk a little bit when the big capital investment projects kind of went away, you know, in the around 2014, 2015. Very hard time. (laughs) Very hard time for everybody who uh, is either in the industry or was, like us, a supplier to the industry. Um, But shale has been a big growth area for us because pretty much all the technology we made for conventional kind of oil and gas is is directly applicable to shale. We had to modify some of our products a little bit to make it suitable for shale. And we we actually invested pretty heavily in service centers and support, you know, all through the the various shale areas. Of course, the Permian here in Texas being a big one. Um, So, yeah, shale was a big help for us, especially as we watched a lot of more global conventional projects dry up and go away. One of the interesting things, Peter, that I that I think our listeners, our followers, our readers, because you know we're part of Shell Magazine as well, is there's such a big misunderstanding on how technical oil and gas really is as a process. And this is right uh, 
of what you do for Emerson. So how much of the technology with Emerson would you say has really been a game changer pertaining to now shell plays that are focusing on the United States? Yeah, there's some very advanced technology used in oil and gas. I'll give you a great example is just the the technology that is applied to actually characterize a reservoir and figure out where you need to put oil wells and how to most uh, best de um, develop a reservoir so that you get the maximum recovery. You are able to pull the most oil out of that particular reservoir. We're using very sophisticated, like near supercomputers to process all the data that comes in from that. 3D modeling of that, high fidelity, uh, sophisticated models. That's a very advanced technology just as an example. Uh, other areas are, you know, the modeling that's used on the production side or the technology we use to actually optimize what was going on at the production side. And that's using cloud computing and analytics there to analyze, you know, can be thousands of pieces of data a day to figure out what really is the optimum way to continue in production. You know, one of the things that's amazing to me is how the perception of companies oil and gas, and of course, companies like Emerson, how it, how much they're driving almost all of all of the technology of what we use today. And what I mean by that is when you go to a Vegas, they have that consumer electronics show, CES, and most of that technology wouldn't be there if it really, I'm not saying all of it, but a lot of it is driven by what's happening in the energy industry and these amazing intelligent people engineers or just scientists going to work and coming out with great products that help drive that and then from there it spins off into other areas of just consumer products that we enjoy and use every day so i want to jump into another area which is something that's very important um you know security in the oil fields is so important you we, there, obviously there's a lot of terrorism and, and that's definitely something that everybody thinks about especially in the oil and gas industry and it isn't where you can just go to a rig site and, and you have access to that well. But cybersecurity, uh, rather it be a refinery or uh, an upstream company, how, how is Emerson helping in this area? Do you ha I think you guys have some kind of technology. Yeah, no, we are very much in the middle of that. I think you characterized it uh, very correctly. You know, the industry really has, I would say, woken up. Uh, to cybersecurity probably over the last 10 years or so before that. Uh, I always say, you know, before that, we were just happy when the technology worked. We weren't actually thinking about how it might be penetrated or misused or somebody would be going after it with malicious purposes. So we have a, a whole array of both technology and services we bring to actually help oil and gas producers with their cybersecurity, whether it's securing things at the wellhead, like the, the actual uh, devices that are at the wellhead that are generating the first technology or to the bigger facilities like a refinery or chemical plant. Uh, there's an array of, some of it comes out of the IT industry, some of it is more specialized for the specific control systems that they're using, but we have a, a lot of technology that we've developed as well as working with some partners as we, and the services to go work with those uh, companies to put that in place to safeguard those systems. Very, very important. Um, any technology that you guys have just released or that you're getting ready to release that's going to be a game changer in the way of, of oil and gas or in the energy sector? Yeah, you mentioned shale before, and since we're in Texas, we'll, we'll focus maybe on shale because we've done some really unique stuff there. We've 
come out with some new sensing technology that can be installed directly at the wellhead and give you continuous readout of what the composition is. Traditionally, uh, you know, oil producers use something called a test separator to figure that out. It was a manual process with a lot of extra equipment. Now we have a sensor you can put in that will directly tell you what's going on. Uh, I mentioned earlier, like our reservoir management software, we have a new version of that that's specifically oriented around the way the shale environment works. Uh, but in general, some of the bigger technologies are more like using cloud, mobile tools. You know, a lot of processes are still manual when you actually go out and look at the oil patch. They're not, yes. yeah, they're not always instrumented the way they should in terms of just even storage tanks and everything. And we have, you know, we've had always a lot of sensor technology there, but we've made it a lot easier to install. We've used wireless technology on those sensors so that avoids trenching or or actually having to put in conduit. They're battery powered, so they avoid the power issue. And, and all of that goes into feeding into software applications that can improve production in the field. Well, Peter, I do want to thank you for being with us today, talking a little bit about what Emerson is doing to push forward you know, our uh, energy dominance, like President Trump likes to say, pertaining to making sure that the energy sector is moving forward with some of the best technologies. And it sounds like Emerson has everything under control. Thank you for being a guest today and joining with us. Okay, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was my interview with Peter Zornio from Emerson. And now it is time to bring on our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, we are a little bit limited on um, what we're going to be able to get in on this segment, so I want to jump right into our questions. And uh, the first question I have is, you know, there's some pretty interesting chatter going on pertaining to OPEC and Russia. And they're always, of course, in the media, but this is a little different. They're talking and communicating about committing to cuts through the end of 2019. So tell me, what are your thoughts on that, and, and do, you, do we really have a chance of making this happen? Well, I think we do. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of incentive for these countries um, who have seen their agreement that's been in place now for 14 months, you know, really play a big role in strengthening the price of oil from uh, the low 40s when they began up to the mid 60s now uh, for West Texas Intermediate. And, uh, you know, the Brent crude price is hovering around $70, which was their target. And of course, these countries are all heavily dependent on crude oil. And the price of crude oil for for their economic uh, growth and prosperity, and um, so it's really been a, a really fantastic agreement for them. And uh, you know, if they were to, you know, they're going to meet in May, um, a preliminary meeting uh, in a couple of weeks, and then a big meeting in May where they're going to finalize uh, whatever their agreement is. If they extend it through 2019, you know that that's really good for the domestic industry here in the U.S. Uh, because it gives companies a, you know, a stronger level of certainty in planning their business for the next year and a half, which is always a critical factor in this industry is being able to properly plan your business. Excellent. Well, one of my favorite topics that I want to switch gears on and bring it back to Texas is everyone loves the word jobs. And when you put jobs, jobs, jobs together, it's like, ah, but we, you know, Texas is just leading the way in job growth. 28,000 jobs created alone in oil and gas. I just, you know, this industry alone is a huge provider of jobs, David. And not just jobs, but high-paying jobs, technical jobs, jobs that require a lot of education, your engineering, you know, your STEM-related practices. This 
industry is not for, if you will say, the dummies. These are really uh, highly intelligent people. Talk to me about the job growth in Texas. The whole uh, state of Texas led the whole country in job growth in February. And, uh, you know, we've created more than 40,000 new jobs in the state of Texas in a single month. 28,000 new jobs in the oil and gas industry in the last year in Texas. And it's just, you know, a testament to the, the, the healthier situation with the industry right now. You know, when times are good, we, we create an awful lot of jobs. Holy smoke, yes. And, you know, we are committed to trying to get the word out and trying to make sure that people know that there are jobs out there. So, uh, you know, we have a actual tab on the shellmag.com in which people can go and look for jobs. And, of course, you can post jobs there as well. Thanks for being a guest today, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Great. I can't wait. And with that, we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, Steve Everly, the Managing Director for FTI Consultants, will be joining us. Stay tuned. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Oil-filled experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil-filled equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Steve Everly, who is the spokesman for Texans for Natural Gas. It's a pro-drilling grassroots group with more than 250,000 members. Steve, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. You know, I'm really excited to have you on the show because you guys are really doing a lot of great work. Uh, Texans for Natural Gas, a lot of common sense approaches uh, pertaining to, uh, you know, how we look at uh, energy, uh, natural gas, and and coming at it from just a think about it moment, doing great work. But I want to begin by, Steve, tell us a little bit about what specifically is Texans for Natural Gas all about? So we are, as as you introduced, a pro-energy, pro-drilling uh, grassroots organization. Uh, we are supported by the industry. Let's get the disclosure out of there. Um, and that's on our, more information about that is on our homepage, texansfornaturalgas.com. Uh, and we decided several years ago when we launched this group that there are a number of environmental groups out there that can give critics of the industry uh, a forum. And there are so many more pro drilling advocates out there who didn't really have an online community where they could interact with other folks and kind of have their own pro-drilling side. And so we launched Texans for Natural Gas, and actually at the time, it was in uh, 2014, it was North Texans for Natural Gas. We started up here just in the Barnett Shale, uh, and that was when the Denton fracking issue was was really coming to a head. Uh, And in 2016, uh, based upon all the support we'd gotten after about a year and a half and the growth that we had seen, not just in North Texas, but all over where you're looking, whether it's San Antonio or Houston or uh, uh, West Texas uh, in particular with the growth of the Permian, uh, we decided that we needed to expand statewide because our support base that was naturally gravitating towards us was statewide as well. 
And so 2016, we went from North Texans for Natural Gas to Texans for Natural Gas. And we have continued to engage on, uh, you know, every major issue that's that's facing oil and gas in the state. Uh, we also do a, a little bit uh, on the on the national side when you're talking about federal regulations, whether it's EPA or the Bureau of Land Management or uh, whomever else. But uh, we've seen a steady growth of support because, as we said, there was no forum or people had not perceived the kind of form that they needed, I guess I could say. And so Texans for Natural Gas has been that opportunity for people who are supportive of oil and gas and want to see oil and gas uh, production continue in Texas uh, to have that kind of outlet. Well, you know, Steve, I I do completely understand what you're saying about how how you've been growing Texans for Natural Gas because there is a desire for – uh, a lot of people to support uh, the energy sector, and I and I see that as well in in our radio show. I mean, it airs in one of the major markets, which is Houston, number one radio station in the United States, and it's the most listened to on Sunday nights. And it's probably because I have a suspicion that there are a lot of people who really either want to learn more or really understand how important energy is to us, to our livelihoods, as well as to just, you know, our life. Um, it, it really can extend a person's life when we have access to clean water and just basic needs. And so I think that there is a very large amount of the population that kind of understands, I don't think I'm getting the full story. Um, I don't think I'm getting the story accurately of what is really happening in oil and gas. And they're seeking out information and this is why Texans for Natural Gas has really been a great thing. I want to, Steve, get into the topic of methane uh, because I think it's an important topic. Um, It really does have the ability to impact all of us uh, in our cities where we live in Texas and so I want to get on that topic. Um, Admissions have been declining air admissions in the Permian Basin and Eagle Ford region even though oil production has been skyrocketing from 2011 to 2016. Tell me a little bit about why you think that these two large shell plays have been able to lower uh, their air emissions. The simple answer is technology. The oil and gas industry is a technology industry. Uh, You cannot drill and complete an oil well or a natural gas well without scientists, engineers, and environmental experts. And contrary to what you hear from critics who think that the industry constantly cuts corners and doesn't care about pollution, the complete opposite is true. Uh, This is a heavily regulated industry, and it's an industry that has a number of employees who uh, join the industry because they care about the environment, because they want to make sure that production and development is done safely and environmentally responsibly. Uh, You mentioned the Permian Basin specifically. Since 2011, methane emissions uh, from oil and gas production in the Permian have gone down about 300,000 metric tons of CO2 equivalent. That's really impressive in and of itself, but it's even more impressive when you consider over the same period, oil production went up by 1.1 million barrels per day. So you're seeing a huge increase in oil production and a significant decline in methane emissions. 
And it's because oil and gas producers are investing in technology to capture more of their emissions. They're building pipelines. They're doing all of the things that you would expect uh, an innovative industry to do. And it's going on even as the federal government is, or I guess I should say was, uh, pursuing additional regulations on the industry, targeting methane, targeting uh, other air emissions that are also declining uh, alongside the decline in methane. So it's really a, a, a good news story in terms of industry innovation and progress. But unfortunately, all we hear is we need more regulation, we need more rules, and environmental groups releasing grainy videos suggesting that emissions are out of control when, again, the complete opposite is true. Great point, Steve. And when we return from break, I want to get back on this topic as far as the perception that's out there and what are some of the other areas that release methane that we should be uh, aware of and understanding because it's not always the oil and gas industry that's uh, releasing methane. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Join the Women's Energy Network for our biennial charity luncheon as we raise money for organizations that benefit STEM education among promising young girls within Title I HISD schools. The luncheon is taking place Thursday, April 12th at the Omni Westside Hotel. Doors open at 11 a.m. Houston, we need your support to continue stimulating the work of great nonprofits. This is an opportunity to do good, but also network with high-powered female leaders in energy. Free headshots on site. This is an event that can't be missed, so mark your calendars. For more information and to register online, visit womensenergynetwork.org. Can't wait to see you there. Sponsored by ConocoPhillips, TransCanada, Technip, FMC, Halliburton, Chenier, Wells Fargo, Callan Petroleum, Penwell, Wanta Services, and Sidley Austin. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Steve Everly who is the spokesman for Texans for Natural Gas. And Steve, before the break, we were really just getting into a discussion, a deep discussion on how the uh, energy sector has really brought down admissions, specifically in the Permian Basin and Eagle Ford region, which are, of course, the two shell plays in Texas. But tell me a little bit about other types of businesses that also produce methane and, and where do they come from? Sure. So there is a huge pie of different sources of of where methane emissions in the United States uh, are emanating from. Uh, The oil and gas industry does have methane emissions. Um, It it, it is not zero. Uh, It's something that has been declining in recent years and um, a pretty significant decline over the past about 25 years. Uh, But there are emissions from that. But there are other sources such as uh, livestock and agriculture. Uh, one of the uh, one of the sources, which we will charitably call cow gas, uh, has it's called enteric fermentation, um, and it just has to do with uh, cattle and digesting food. And the um, again, well, the, the gas that they release, we'll put it at that, is, is methane, um, and also uh, other livestock processes, manure management, and, and other things uh, are sources of methane. Landfills uh, as uh, trash degrades, uh, it, it actually will emit methane as well. And there are natural sources as well, different biological sources that um, can be seen in different soils and in other places. So there's a there's a diverse group of sources for methane emissions. The oil and gas industry is not the, the largest source. 
What's interesting is that you often will see that the oil and natural gas industry is the largest single source of methane emissions in the United States. And that's not really true. So if you combined enteric fermentation, the quote-unquote cow gas that I mentioned, and manure management, the EPA for some reason separates those into two categories, even though they both really have to do with cattle and livestock. Those combined are the largest source. And they're, they're larger than oil and natural gas combined, but for some reason, people want to combine two other sources, but they don't want to combine two other sources that are, that are combined. So it's kind of a, you know, you can, you can have some fun with statistics and you can combine things and, and, and tell the narrative you want. Um, but, and by the way, that wasn't always the case. Several years ago, uh, I think it was about five or six years ago, the natural gas industry actually was the largest single source. Now, there's some caveats with that in terms of what that actually means, but because the industry has been reducing emissions, it's now no longer the largest single source. And I, 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 I want to be clear here, too, that this isn't about saying that you know, livestock emissions are out of control and that agriculture needs to get its act together. Quite the opposite. They're doing a lot on this, and, and they've been uh, putting out a, a bunch of research and, and engaging in a lot of research on how to reduce emissions, and, and there's a lot of progress that's being made there, too. Exactly. Now, environmental groups and some of their state attorney generals have announced uh, a number of lawsuits that keep the Obama administration's 11th hour regulation in place. Now, what is going on with that and why are they doing this? Sure. So when the um, Obama administration in its last year in office finalized a number of different rules, or I guess it's, I should say it's last year's in office because it was, it was a couple years in the making. But they, the, the previous administration finalized a number of regulations targeting methane. Uh, one of them is on federal lands, and it, it's important to understand a little bit of context here. The Bureau of Land Management regulates – this is a federal agency. It regulates oil and natural gas development on federal lands, and the Obama administration pushed forward a rule in 2016, essentially as it was heading out the door, that – said companies need to reduce methane emissions by this much. Uh, they have to capture this and they, you know, they, all, all sorts of different rules and restrictions on methane emissions on federal lands. The problem with that rule, uh, and the industry has argued this in court, is that the Bureau of Land Management does not have the authority to regulate air quality. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has that because that's, what, that's the power that Congress gave that agency. The Bureau of Land Management under the Obama administration was claiming, well, this isn't about air quality. This is actually about reducing waste, and this is about giving more money back to taxpayers because if you capture more of the natural gas, you can sell it, and then that creates royalties. But the entire sales pitch for the regulation and all of the environmental groups that have joined these lawsuits to defend those rules because the Trump administration is actually trying to repeal them or, or, or revise them, all of the entire sales pitch was based on climate change. The entire sales pitch was based on we need to reduce methane because of air quality, because of climate change. And then suddenly when they're called out about that and saying that's actually not in your statutory authority, they say, whoa, 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 this wasn't actually about climate change at all. This was just about reducing waste. Yep. Very interesting because we do understand that President Obama, when he was in office, wasn't really favorable uh, to the energy sector. And now we see President Trump really realizing we have some great – uh, opportunities here for energy uh, dominance, and we need to move forward 
towards that. Uh, but Steve, we do have to take a break. When we return, I want to get on the subject of Russia and of course LNG. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. The new issue of Shell Magazine featuring Parsley Energy is online now. Visit shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shellmag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. There are 979 drilling rigs in operation in the United States, up six from 973 just last week. 499 of those rigs are active in Texas, up from 492 last week. The state of Texas issued 326 drilling permits last week, up two from the week before. And WTI prices averaged $64.16, up from $61.50 the week before, on a report from Saudi Arabia that it intends to extend production cuts through 2019. This is Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest is Steve Everly, spokesperson for Texans for Natural Gas. Steve, before the break, we were talking about uh, methane. And I want to change gears a little bit and talk about Russia and LNG. You wrote an article that came out couple of days ago in the Washington Examiner, and it was a really spot-on piece on some of the lunacy that's going on when we're looking at Massachusetts recently imported cargo of liquid natural gas, and it was sourced from Russia. And that's very strange considering that they are sitting a few hundred miles away from the Marcellus Shell. So, uh, it, tell me a little bit about why is uh, Massachusetts importing natural gas from Russia? So it, you you mentioned it that there there's a there's an I don't know if it's an irony or if it's lunacy or if it's crazy or or what the word is or if there isn't even is is even one word. But the United States since 2012 has been the largest natural gas producer in the world. Uh, in a few years, we will be a net energy exporter. LNG exports, natural gas exports have soared. We are able to power the world with natural gas. The, the, the LNG market, the liquefied natural gas market, the global market, the United States is becoming one of, if not the biggest player in that market. And yet here we have a region, New England, that is positioned just a couple hundred miles from the Marcellus Shale, which is the largest natural gas field in the United States. It's one of the biggest natural gas fields in the entire world. And instead of piping gas from Pennsylvania over to Massachusetts, a very, you know, a comparatively small distance, Massachusetts imported a cargo of natural gas that was sourced from Russia earlier this year. There's no reason for that to be happening. And the biggest reason why is because the keep it in the ground movement, the anti-fossil fuel movement, has decided that the greatest threat to society is pipelines. And they have blocked and fought tooth and nail. They have laid down in the path of every pipeline proposal in that region that would facilitate additional natural gas supplies from the Marcellus into New England. Again, a very short distance. And the result of that is they need natural gas. They've been using more natural gas. They've been closing down coal plants. They've been closing down some nuclear plants as well. They need more natural gas. And so they have to import it from an LNG terminal. 
Those imports come from places like Trinidad, Yemen, and now recently Russia. There is a direct link between New England importing LNG and the region siding with keep it in the ground and the anti-fossil fuel movement by blocking pipelines. If you can't pipe it in, you have to import it some other way. And that is now coming from Russia. I think if you took a poll of most Americans and asked them, would you prefer to have pipelines, which are one of the, if not the safest ways of transporting something that we must absolutely have to survive, natural gas, or would we prefer to have it imported from a country that we know is not an ally of ours? It just doesn't make sense that anyone would would be supporting this argument, this discussion. It makes no sense to me at all as an American. Why are we importing from Russia? And um, especially when, when you consider the abundance that we have here. And so the negative outcome for New England is they're paying more to have this imported, correct? Yeah, they New England pays some of the highest natural gas prices in the country because of these choke points, because they are, are not allowed, they, they don't have adequate pipeline capacity. So consumers and households and working families in New England are suffering because keep it in the ground has sanctimoniously decided uh, we need to shut down pipelines because of climate change or whatever the issue du jour is of, of that particular day. And you know what's interesting? You said that you know intuitively most of us would say yes, it would be better to import you know import gas from the next state than from Russia. That's that's a pretty easy that's a pretty easy call. One of the prominent anti-energy groups in Massachusetts, it's called the Conservation Law Foundation, has on its website a declaration where it says that importing natural gas from foreign countries is actually preferable to building new pipelines. We know that the Sierra Club opposes pipelines and they're fighting as well. But this kind of notion has um, affected what elected leaders are now even believing. Last week, the Massachusetts Attorney General actually said that importing LNG, including from Russia, is better for the climate than building pipelines that would connect them to the Marcellus Shale. Now, just think about that for a little bit. It doesn't matter what you think about climate change or any of that. Just just think about that. It's better to import Russian LNG than it is to pipe in natural gas from your neighbor. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And not to mention, though, we really have to think, wrap your head around this. Well, it, if the United States is a country, Russia is a country, uh, and you have all these different countries, um, if we're talking about what's better for the environment, shouldn't we be looking at this from a world stage perspective? Meaning, shouldn't we be saying, well, why is it better for Russia, not the United States, when if we have a climate issue, we should be taking this as a, a whole entire planet because the United States is just one country within this planet. So it makes absolutely no sense, this discussion. None whatsoever. But I want to talk about the Jones Act. We do have to take a quick break. There is one other little stipulation in here that's also causing a little bit of, of uh, havoc pertaining to uh, the LNG discussion uh, that's happening in New England, and that's the Jones Act. But, Steve, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on that topic. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Join the Women's Energy Network for our biennial charity luncheon as we raise money for organizations that benefit STEM education among promising young girls within Title I HISD schools. The luncheon is taking place Thursday, April 12th 
at the Omni Westside Hotel. Doors open at 11 a.m. Houston, we need your support to continue stimulating the work of great nonprofits. This is an opportunity to do good, but also network with high-powered female leaders in energy. Free headshots on site. This is an event that can't be missed, so mark your calendars. For more information and to register online, visit womensenergynetwork.org. Can't wait to see you there. Sponsored by ConocoPhillips, TransCanada, Technip, FMC, Halliburton, Chenier, Wells Fargo, Callan Petroleum, Penwell, Wanta Services, and Sidley Austin. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Steve Everly, spokesperson for Texans for Natural Gas. And Steve, we were, before the break, we were on the discussion of LNG being imported into the United States from Russia, of all places. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, a the Jones Act, which is actually in place currently right now. What is it, and why is it a problem for the United States? Sure. The, the Jones Act uh, is a federal law passed in 1920 that prohibits cargoes in the United States from, from U.S. ports from being transported between U.S. ports as they are carried on a vessel that is American flagged. So it has to be an American ship. It has to be an American crew. Um, the, the problem with that is a lot of cargoes that we need to ship in the United States, the amount and the volume exceeds the number of those actual ships. So it, it's not about saying, oh, we support American jobs or we don't. We all do, but there are, there's a certain number. There's a finite number of ships, and if we're limiting our options on that, it means that we can't transport things in between ports that we need to do. The Jones Act got a lot of scrutiny last year when Puerto Rico got slammed by Hurricane Maria, and supplies could not get to the island because of the Jones Act. We had plenty of ships, actually, that could take them there, but because of that rule, we couldn't get supplies from the mainland to the island, and so people there were suffering. The Trump administration temporarily waived the law at one point to to allow that assistance to reach there. What that means in in the current context is that we have a shortage of, of LNG tankers worldwide, and so there's even fewer that are American flagged. And so the United States is actually limiting its options in terms of how it can ship LNG between different ports. There is an LNG import terminal in Massachusetts. That's the one that imported Russian gas. There's no reason why we couldn't have a discussion about shipping LNG from Texas, Louisiana, or even now Maryland, which is has its own uh, operational facility, uh, to help out Massachusetts. So at least it would still be American gas. But the Jones Act is providing a bit of a barrier there. You know, the United States, there's been more natural gas imported last year. And that's actually been the first time since 1957. Uh, Natural gas exports have more than doubled since 2010. And oil exports have surged in recent years. And that was, of course, after Congress lifted the ban in December 2015. 
what uh, can you kind of tell me what is going on in the way of exports in the United States? Sure, sure. So in November 2017, the United States um, surpassed its previous record for oil production. It's an all-time record as of November 2017. I think it was 10.2 million barrels per day, something like that. Uh, the International Energy Agency project, uh, has projected that the United States is going to be the world's largest oil producer by 2023. That actually, the, the, that was a recent assessment, and that moved up by three years. So this is the scale of production that we're seeing, uh, or production increase that we're seeing in recent years. Um, and, and both of these, needless to say, are very important for Texas, and Texas is at the center of them uh, on exports, which is giving Texas producers and U.S. producers additional markets so we can continue to increase production. The Gulf Coast is the focal point of that. So Corpus Christi, in particular, is becoming a major hub for oil exports. They're expanding the port. This is a multi-million dollar investment to expand the port, to deepen it so that more ships can go in and out of there. What that ultimately means is that more Texas energy is going to be able to power countries all around the world. Um, so that's that's good for Texas producers. It's good for port workers. Uh, it's good for everyone along the supply chain. Uh, there, on the natural gas side, uh, there is an LNG export facility in Louisiana near the Texas border. There are multiple LNG export facilities that are under construction and will soon be operational uh, on the Texas side of the Gulf Coast. Uh, Corpus Christi is one of the uh, the big ones that that will be coming on uh, coming online in, in a few years. But even the one in Louisiana is piping in a lot of gas that was sourced in Texas. And I think the other thing, though, that's really worth mentioning, Steve, is the fact that, you know, natural gas burns cleaner and we have an abundance here. So we should be trying to supply it, not just here at home, but also abroad. And Texans for Natural Gas published a white paper basically tabulating the enormous economic benefit that LNG exports are creating, especially here in Texas. And so as we wind down the show, um, I want to give our listeners an opportunity to join Texans for Natural Gas, to uh, be a part of Texans for Natural Gas. Where where do we go to get involved with uh, Texans for Natural Gas? Sure. You can go to texansfornaturalgas.com. There's a uh, sign-up box right there at the top. Facebook is where we interact mostly with our members, uh, facebook.com slash Texans for Natural Gas. We're also on Twitter, uh, Instagram. I think we've even got a Snapchat. Um, I don't, and I, and I just called it a Snapchat. So even I'm kind of uh, on, on the cutting edge of some of this stuff. But um, we like to interact with our audience in a lot of different ways. And uh, we're just really excited for everything that we're about to be doing and obviously the support that we've been able to, uh, to garner just in the past couple of years. Well, one thing is for sure is usually when it comes down to uh, natural gas topics, what seems to be going on uh, in the world pertaining to energy, um, emailing or finding you guys on Facebook and and asking questions, usually they can get a good uh, response from you guys because you all are pretty active with your social media. So. Thank you for being a guest today on uh, on in the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we look forward to you coming back. Uh, keep writing those common sense articles and, and getting them published. Um, I love to follow your articles because they really do make just a lot of sense on why are we doing things that really don't seem to be making a lot of sense to benefit the United States. But Steve, we do have to wrap up the show. Thank you for being a guest today. And we look forward to having you back uh, here in the near future. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Well, Steve, thanks again for being a guest on our show today, and congratulations because you are going to be the topic of today's trivia question. Be the first person to email the correct answer of this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com, and you will win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, an amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, Steve Everly is the spokesperson for what organization? Remember to be the first person to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, a Brazilian steakhouse. Well, that's all the time we have for this show. But if you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and sign up for our free newsletter. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash In the Oil Patch Radio Show or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.